Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. students how you doing it's your favorite instructor ryan bradshaw here for business law and i hope you guys are having a great week so far it's pretty cold tonight actually um i was able to uh spend some time outdoors even though it was raining i kind of hung out on the porch and i cooked supper tonight it was excellent if i do say so myself we had um i guess i don't know when i bought it it said premium like pork shoulder or something like that, or pork roast. It was from Smithfield, and it was a little three-pound pork roast. And so I took some, uh, took aluminum foil sheet and did some brown sugar, salt, pepper, some garlic, kind of put it all up on there, and then rolled it up into this sheet of aluminum foil, wrapped it up tight, and then I put it uh, on the uh, opposite side of the grill from the coals and let it go for about... Uh, two and a half hours or so then for that last 30 45 minutes i took it out of uh, this pouch it was full of juices so it had been kind of stewing in there and then i put it um just back on the grill let it kind of get just smoked flavor you know didn't really get a like a great char or anything but still worked out you know and while that was this was cooking for maybe the last half of it cooking outside i kind of hung out and just sat in a chair and uh just kind of made some phone calls, talked to some folks, and um, I actually bought the digital copy copy of um, the new Star Wars show. Um, I guess it's Rise of Skywalker, and I'd seen it in the theater, but I just hadn't uh, seen it since then, and wanted to give it another look. And also, my my parents had mentioned to me wanting to watch it again. See, every year, I guess I, I'm thinking every year. They've come out with a Star Wars movie recently every year. I think for the last four years, you had, well, it might be five years. I'm not sure. But you had The Force Awakens, which was the new Star Wars movie, I guess, or the new beginning of the new trilogy. And then you had, I guess, I don't know if Rogue One came next, which was really good. I liked it. And then uh, Last Jedi. Was it Last Jedi? Yeah. And then the new Han Solo movie. We didn't go to the movies to see that one. We wanted to. But um and then we want we went to see the latest one, Rise of Skywalker. And so yeah, we've had this tradition every year that they've put out these new Star Wars, Star Wars movies except for the Han Solo movie that we go to the movies to, together. I buy my tickets uh, well, I'm sorry, buy my parents a pair of tickets and take them to the movies and so we've had some some good times together. Um Aside from that, what what else has been going on today? Not much. Um, been busy, you know, just trying to maintain like <laughs> the the juggling act that is uh, having to maintain an office and get work done for school, and so at the same time, you know, feed kids that are always hungry. Uh, <laughs> so like we'll wake up in the morning, I'm hungry, and I hear it three times, you know, from each one of my children. And so you would think that I know the older kids are are able to go and get food for themselves, but for some reason I still have to serve the kids, you know. So, 
but yeah, you know, bouncing around doing cereals and sandwiches and Raymond and everything in between. Um, I will say that last night for supper, we went and I ordered Pizza Hut. And I, I don't get Pizza Hut that much, you know. But I used to be a huge Pizza Hut fan when I was a kid. And it kind of just kind of fell by the wayside. But every once in a while, we'll get a Pizza Hut. And yesterday, I got an ad in the mail that was talking about this thing called the Big Dipper. And let me tell you, we ordered this thing. And it came, and when I saw it the box, it was so much bigger than I thought just by looking at the picture of it because this thing is two feet of pizza by one foot so it's like you know really big big i mean it's like it's bigger than two medium pizzas um and it's cut into like one by four inch squares or not squares but rectangles and so and it comes with these different sauces and so man that was a really good supper last night too and uh we had some leftovers so i had that for lunch and my wife took some to work, work for lunch, and even um, my oldest daughter had some too, so it, it had got two meals out of it. But yeah, you can tell we've been being productive and eating a lot, so I think everybody has been going through that. I've heard a lot of jokes about, you know, eating all my preparedness supplies, and I'm going to gain, you know, 30 pounds while I'm at the house, you know, so yeah, but I don't eat all day long, you know. Um, I try to, you know, space it out, and I ate a bowl of cereal first thing this morning. It was uh, frosted mini wheats, and so um, very good. And uh, I just realized I'm like giving you an itinerary of my menu. So I hope I hope you enjoy. I hope I'm not making you too hungry. But aside from eating and serving foods and maintaining office hours and trying to get work done, things are going good. Um, I did watch that first probably half of the Star Wars movie today while I was sitting outside on my tablet with the grill. But outside of that, not too much more this week. Um, everything is, uh, you know, we're making it work. I talked to the dean today. We we, t- we talked for a few minutes uh, over the phone and just, uh, you know, really bizarre times we're living in, you know. But we're making the best of it and trying to make sure that you guys have all the support you need and that you're still getting the quality education that you paid for. I hope you're finding these podcasts interesting and able to uh, get something from the contents. Um, My goal with the podcast initially was just to be able to break down a barrier, that a communication barrier that I felt existed in the online classes. And I hope that this podcast, you know, in part achieves that because I felt like my online students were really lacking the ability to, to connect with the classroom experience. And so... That was the original intention for launching the podcast, but now it's become kind of a lifeboat with regards to uh, being able to, I guess, lecture from a distance. So, pardon my Diet Dr. Pepper I'm opening. Let me take a swallow of that real quick. But anyway, so how are you guys doing this week so far? It's midweek. You've made it through Monday and Tuesday. What's what's new and exciting in the world? Anything you guys are watching that, that I need to know about? Or do you have an interesting story to, uh, to let me know about? Just shoot me an email, and I will email you back within a 12- or 24-hour you know window. I'm usually pretty good about getting back same day because I do check my email very often. But just depending on where I'm at in that, I guess, routine as to when uh, I'll be able to sit down and 
and hit you back. But I usually try to close out my day, which is um, late into the night, with responding to everybody, you know. So, yeah, if you've got something you want to add or something I need to be checking out, an article or a show, just, just let me know. I've got most of the streaming services. Um, and so if there's something that you saw that was really fun and interesting you want to share, just let me know that because like, I've got a lot of time otherwise, you know, to consume some, some media, you know. Um, that being said, I haven't watched a lot of streaming stuff, but I'll make time to watch something you guys recommend just so I can talk about it. So I did download the rest of that Tiger King show. I know some of you have got to have watched, have seen it by now. And, uh, I haven't watched anything but the first episode, but I keep seeing all the memes pop up online. My wife shows them to me on Facebook. Um, I don't, I don't check out Facebook that much anymore, but she'll, she'll show me like all these little jokes because we both watched the first episode together. So, um, I'm sure it gets really crazy because the first episode was really pretty nutty. So we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see where this thing goes. You know, I see it's like six more episodes. So I hope it can maintain my attention all the way through the last six. Um, so going forward, just to talk about some, I guess, stuff related to business before we jump back into chapter 11. We um, are going to, I, I let you know in an email that spring break is kind of effectively canceled as far as uh, the, the time, but you guys probably won't experience anything different than what's on the schedule I provided because I'm not going to schedule any assignments during spring break, even though technically that's not going to be spring break anymore. I'm just not going to make any schedule adjustments. So that week that was originally going to be spring break, you'll still have off from assignments. So that's a good, good thing. And the reason being, you know, we, we had missed the week about two weeks ago and they were going to just pull back four days from that, from spring break or shorten spring break. So we wouldn't lose as much time. And that being said, you do have that, those makeup assignments on the front page of Moodle. So please take care of those and get those knocked out. Um, but yeah, since they had already factored in spring break on the schedule, I didn't think it was right to make any other adjustments to the schedule beyond what I've had to make already due to this interruption in our regularly scheduled programming, so to speak. So spring break week coming up, I think it starts the 12th um, of April. You guys shouldn't have any work for about 10 days. So that'll give you a little breather just to be able to sit back and kind of relax. I may put out like one podcast that week for a spring break edition just to touch base and, and talk to you guys. But uh, other than that, it should be just a little a break for you guys. Because I know this has been a pretty hectic semester outside of the world events that are going on. Just a normal semester is, is hectic. You've got a lot going on. You've got, you know, multiple classes that you keep up with. Most of you are working. You, most of you have uh, demanding personal lives. So it's a lot to be a college student, and I applaud you. I, I get it. I know from personal experience the demands that are on college students. Uh, students. So just going through a normal semester, I get it. It's very stressful. But then you put on this interruption that we've all had, and it really does compound the effects on, on your schedule and time and anxiety and everything. So uh, I appreciate you guys hanging with us and um, making the best of the situation. I really do appreciate that. And it really is a testament to your resolve. And it's also a good 
I guess, lesson because in management and leadership, you're constantly faced with challenges, and it's how you respond to those challenges or really define you as a person. And so when you're faced with difficult situations and you rise to the occasion, that speaks a lot to your resolve and your ability to adapt. So hats off to all of you. Thank you so much. All right. So let's get into chapter 11 or get back into chapter 11. Uh, not the bankruptcy, the chapter. Um, we left off on Monday talking about secure transactions. I know it's I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but we're going to talk about it a little bit, kind of get some um, interesting takes on on these uh, the concepts, and we're going to try to wrap up most of the chapter uh, on this podcast. We'll see if we have to go a little bit further on Friday, and I will have some additional content on Friday, and we may crack into the next chapter. We may not, depending on uh, how this goes, but. In any case, we're just going to keep moving forward, keep our head up, and, and make it work. That being said, so secure transactions, you should know just by listening to the first lecture and reading the material what that is. But the, the basic premise is that, as we discussed on Monday, we've got to have some type of security in order to give lenders a good feeling about taking a risk on lending out money or entering into some type of transaction because without some type of security the lender's risk goes up exponentially um, I was thinking about this after I spoke on Monday to you guys uh, between now between now and Monday and anytime my, my, my wife and kids go on vacation we normally will drive down to South Carolina and go to Myrtle Beach for you know usually one or two nights we don't usually stay long um, it's kind of an expensive place to hang out, but uh, we do like to go, you know, once a year maybe. And so there's this place that they have down there. They've got multiple locations, but it's pretty prominent, the one I'm thinking of. And it's this place where it's a title loan place. If you own a vehicle, you've got a title to a car, you can go in there and uh, show them your title, hand your title over and basically take out a loan on your car and if you default on the on the the loan they own your car and then they can seize your car they'll send somebody around in the middle of the night probably to grab that car up snatch it away from you and then they've got the title so they will basically sell that car and recoup the uh, the loan amount and so Usually the way those situations works is, let's say that you've got a car that's worth $5,000. Well, they may loan you, you know, up to 50 or 60% of that. And then if you don't pay it back, they will come seize the car and then they'll make, you know, a profit on, on the sale of the vehicle. But the reason why they have to build in some, some potential room for gain there is because, there's a large potential for loss too, and there's going to be added expenses to go repossess the vehicle or, or take possession of the vehicle and to go through the process of selling. It might not sell instantly, and so there's uh, considerations that the, that person has to go through that will alter how much money they have to come out, out of pocket. And, of course, you can't run a business if you're constantly losing money having to uh, have all these additional expenses. 
And so, um, in any case, let me move on. I've got um, another good example coming up. So I wrote that down. So, secure transactions. Let's see. We started off talking about this concept of agreement and operation of law. So, agreement with the debtor. Security obtained through agreement comes in three major types. Personal property security, the most common form of security. Um, a suretyship, the willingness of a third party to pay if the primary obligated party does not. And a mortgage of real estate. I talked about those on Monday. And so the next piece is operation of law. And so security obtained through operation of law is known as a lien. That's a key term from the chapter. This is basically, it comes from the French for string or tie. It means that there's an attachment to the property that if that property is ever sold, that lien will be honored first. So as an example, let's say that Bob owns a carpentry company. He goes and gets a line of credit at a at a manufacturer or a supplier, and he over the course of several years ends up having about a ten thousand dollar balance at that supplier. Well, then he um, goes out of business, and the supplier's like, "Well, hey, you never paid us the ten grand. What's up with that? You know, we're gonna sue you if you don't pay us. You know, and what they could do is a another option instead of going through a lawsuit." is place a lien on the property so if that property is ever sold they will be settled first and that's a that's a common thing that you see happen as far as um security transactions or secure transactions and so some basic secure uh, transactions let me give you some definitions we already talked about these on monday but you know i like to recap and so uh, these terms let's talk about fixtures Fixtures are goods that have become attached to real estate. If you'll remember what kind of examples we talked about on Monday. So anything that's attached to the, to the real estate. If you buy this really nice stove, uh, say you spent $3,000 on it, mean, it's nice, but it's built into the woodwork or, or, or counter or whatever now. It's attached. Yeah, there's no taking that with you. Or if you remodel your bathroom, that was an example I offered on Monday. Remodel the bathroom. Now, <clears throat> you know, you spent thousands of dollars on these really nice, you know, fixtures and things that are attached to the sink and these crystal handles and whatnot. Yeah, all those are fixtures. They all complement and are a part of the house. And so they're, they're considered, they're attached. And so you can't sell a house showing those fixtures and then, swap them out for cheap ones or you know take them and leave nothing yeah that kind of stuff it does happen believe it or not and it creates problems um so if you're going to do anything like that if you have any intention of trying to take anything that's a fixture that needs to be on the front end of the deal it's not impossible to take this stuff as long as it's on the front end of the deal and sometimes like if if you had an example i'm thinking of I live in an older house, and in this older house, there are these doorknobs that are, I wouldn't say they're antiques, but they but somebody might look at them as antique. And the reason I mention it, one of my wife's cousins mentioned that if we ever left this house, she wanted to get, you know, the doorknobs. And I was thinking, okay, you know, well, 
part of it is she deals in antiques but um i mean there is some sentimental attachment too because uh it's it's family you know family attachment so but that is if we let's say we sold this house hypothetically to somebody uh and you know i did the deal signed the paperwork sold it's done and then i go talk to the owner say well as it turns out my wife's cousin really wants these doorknobs um we're gonna take them well you know the owner might say well you're not gonna take them because i bought the house it's paid for done deal and those are considered fixtures you can't take them and in my mind i'm thinking well I didn't know about the fixture rule. I didn't know it's a law, whatever. So I'm still going to take them. You know, well, legally, at that point, those belong to the new owner. You can't just take them up and, and, and go give them to your wife's cousin. That's just not going to work because they're considered fixtures. And so the next term is security interest means an interest in personal property or fixtures that secures the performance of some obligation. Performance means that we are fulfilling an obligation we're doing what we're supposed to do and a security interest in performance means that I am going to directly benefit in some way by a performance that's going to be offered I have a security interest in that performance and so let's say it's an actual performance by a musician so uh, we were about to get into concert season before this uh, virus situation and there was actually two or three concerts that I was interested in going to. Um, I'm glad I didn't buy tickets already. But um, let's say that a uh, a vendor of some type, you know, had spent a lot of money investing in concert season. They have a security interest in performance, you know, but they may not have a legal contract or anything, but they are very much a a bystander in this i know we talked about that in the previous chapter or an unintended beneficiary we talked about that in the previous chapter and so they were looking to gain from concert season i know people like think imagine the scalpers i know these things people still exist where they buy up a bunch of tickets on the front end they just go and they get a bunch of people from a bunch of different accounts to buy up tickets and then they consolidate those and then they list them and uh, they list them at exorbitant prices so this is really kind of you know re revenge against the scalpers people that do that quick story about that my, when my wife and i were dating um she had never been to a concert ever in her life which i thought was ex extremely weird you know but i guess it wasn't that weird because i think i met her when she was 21 i was 22 somewhere in that neighborhood she might have been 20 and i think i went to my first concert when i was I think 13, 14, as far as a actual performance from a from an artist. I think the first concert I went to see that wasn't a symphony was uh, James Taylor, and I think the second concert was Elton John. So anyway, she said she'd never been to a concert, and of course I really wanted to impress her, right? So I said, well, we're going to see a concert. And so the she was really into country music at the time. She still likes country music, but um there's this guy named kenny chesney i'm sure you've heard of him he was playing at walnut creek that night and so i didn't have tickets but i knew i could get them felt i could felt i could get them so we jumped in the car and rode to raleigh to go see kenny chesney so once again no tickets in hand and I, I saw a scalper i stopped and said hey we're looking for grass seats and man uh, the, i think the cover price was 30 bucks on the ticket he wanted 150 for both 
I mean total, you know, 150. So we're talking like, you know, a almost not quite triple markup on these things, right? And I'm thinking, ah, this is terrible. And I actually wasn't going to do it, but I said, you know what? Let's go for it. We'll, we'll have fun. So I dropped 150 bucks on a pair of tickets. But you know what? We had a good time. It was great. And that was her first concert, I believe, that we went to. So <clears throat> good stuff. And uh, years later, one of the more recent concerts we went to, um, she had never saw Elton John perform. And I had seen him twice at that point. And so I thought, man, you know, Elton's coming back around. Great performer, great entertainer. Everybody loves his music. So I, I actually sold some like comics that I had that were valuable to get to get money together to get really good tickets. And I was able to get third row tickets for Elton John. And so night of we're there, third row, extremely, extremely good concert. And so sorry to take it aside, but for Elton, it was worth it. All right. And so now we're back to talking about secured party. Secured party is the person or company that holds the security interest. The next is collateral. This is a big one. This is a big part of the chapter. Is the property subject to a security interest? <coughs> and you may or may not remember what collateral is. What is collateral? Do you remember? Okay, collateral is something that we put up a value in order to secure a deal. <coughs> um, the example I used on Monday was that Mickey Mantle baseball cards. Take another swallow of my drink, one moment. And so, if we've got something of value, it doesn't matter what it is per se. It matters that the person, the um, the obligor, the person that is going to uh, loan us money or whatever the deal requires, it, it matters that they value it. And so. If I have, you know, something that I perceive as valuable, let's say it's a vintage toy that I just think is swell. It's really good, really cool. But I show it to the, the person that I want to borrow money from, and they see little to no value. And it's like, oh, it's just a toy. I don't care about that. Even if the market, you know, has value for it, you know, like let's say it's worth, you know, $1,000 on the market. It, you know, if the, if the person looking at it can't use it or doesn't want it, you know, I mean, doesn't need it, doesn't doesn't want to have to deal with it, then that, that doesn't work. Imagine taking that toy into a bank and saying, here's my collateral. You know, how would that work out? Not very good. <clears throat> but if you sold the toy for $1,000 and took that $1,000 and used that as a form of collateral, then that would change things, you know. Or um, if you bought something else that the, like a piece of gold or something that somebody would, would value, that could be a, a collateral item. <clears throat> um, we talked about what debtors and obligors are. Let's see, what else? All right, so default. You should all be familiar with that term also. Default occurs when the debtor fails to pay money that is due, for example, on a loan or for the purchase made of credit, for, um, on credit. Repossession, you should know what that is. Something uh, is taken back over. Big, big example here is, is car loans. So if you take out a car loan, doesn't work out, uh, you, you don't make the payments as you agreed to, yeah, they're going to come get that car. And that's what repossession is. Perfection is when we actually go through the process 
of honoring the agreement as agreed. And when it's done, it's done. That's called perfection. Uh, financing statements is a document that the secured party files to give the general public notice that it has secured interest in the collateral. The record refers to information written on paper, stored in an electronic or other medium. And then authentication means to sign a document or to use any symbol or encryption method that identifies the person and clearly indicates she is adopt adopting the record as her own. And so these are some really important terms to just form the basis for the chapter on secure transactions. I talked about collateral. Let me talk a little bit more about it. The next section goes into a deeper detail. So it can be divided into four broad categories. Goods, intangible property, dispensable, indispensable paper, and other types of collateral. So let me talk about what those are. Goods are tangible property as collateral. Goods mean all things that are movable when a security interest attaches. So here's some ideas for collateral. Inventory. I need a business loan. I need a business loan for $50,000. I have nothing to offer in collateral, but I do have inventory. I have, uh, let's say, $100,000 worth of inventory in my warehouse that is sellable, mer sellable merchandise. So I could use that as collateral. Farm products. That could be used as collateral. Equipments. Fixtures. Accession. All types of collateral that can be used. Um, the next part is intangible property. So accounts. This type of intangible property includes accounts receivable, the right to payment of money, insurance policy proceeds, energy provided or to be provided, winnings in a lottery, healthcare insurance receivables, promissory notes, securities, letters of credit, and interest in business entities. So let's say that I have a business, very successful business. It's worth a million dollars. That's the, the market value of my business. And I need to take out a loan for $100,000. And as a collateral on the loan, if I default, I will give the person 10% of my business that's worth $100,000. 10% of a million, 100000 So that could be a form of collateral. So general intangibles refers to any personal property, including things in action other than accounts, commercial tort claims, deposit accounts, documents, goods, instruments, investment property, letters of credit right, letters of credit, money, and oil, gas, or other minerals before extraction. General intangibles include payment intangibles and software. So the point being is that there's so many different forms of collateral that you can use. And you can get creative. There, there's all types of creative things that business people do in order to make deals happen. As long as you keep it within the realms of moral, ethical, and legal. All right. So indispensable paper. This oddly named, uh, sorry, this oddly named category is the middle ground between goods, stuff you can touch, and intangible property. It's called indispensable because although the right to the value, such as a warehouse receipt, is embodied in a written paper, the paper itself is indistinguishable 
for the transferee to access the value. As an example, Deborah the debtor and Carl the creditor. Four kinds of indispensable paper, chattel paper, documents, instruments, and investment property. So these are, these are papers that are um, associated with value that can be used as collateral. And so some other types, this last point, floating lien is the security interest in property that was not in the possession of the debtor when the security agreement was executed. Sale proceeds, these are proceeds from the dis disposition of the collateral after acquired property. This is property that the debtor acquires after the original deal was set up. It allows the secured party to enhance his security as the debtor, the obligor, and acquires more property subject to collateralization. Uh, future advances, here the security agreement calls for the collateral to stand for both present and future advances of credit without any additional paperwork. So there's a bunch of different types of collateral. Um, like I said before, get creative with it. You know, think, don't, don't just like fall into a narrow category of what could be used for collateral. Really, um, if you look at what you have uh, and how you can use it, you can really get creative with uh, creating a collateral uh, piece of collateral to use for a loan. And so attachments of security interests. Attachment is the term used to describe when a security interest becomes enforceable against the debtor with respect to the collateral. So once again, now we've got something that becomes actionable. We've got a reason to uh, seek out that, 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 that security interest, that thing that we had that secured the loan, for example, the collateral. And so, um, so in the grasping hand, what we talked about on Monday, the, the hand that the, the person that loaned the money has is reaching out to reclaim uh, or take possession of collateral. Attachment is the outreach hand that is prepared. If the debtor defaults, to, um, it will grasp that collateral. So that outreach is what the attachment is. It's like the string we talked about <coughs> in the lien example. So attachment is, hey, I got my hand right here, and if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to snatch up this collateral, then I'm going to sell it and get my money back. So requirements, the creditor or secured party must give value for the security interest to attach. So value is a term used a lot in business. Um, value is... Uh, it doesn't matter how you feel about a good or service. It matters how your customer or uh, if you're getting some type of loan or some type of other value from a good service from somebody else. It matters how they perceive the value to be. And so um, the, the first example that popped in my mind is let's say somebody has a good that they've created. And they just love this good. They 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 make it, they craft it, and they are just they just think it's awesome. But most of the market just thinks it's just okay, right? And so, you know, if they say, Well, hey, you know, I've spent a lot of time making the this widget, whatever it is that I make, and now I've got, you know, ten thousand of them. And so you've got ten thousand widgets, uh, but when they go show it to somebody to use as collateral, you know, I've got this inventory that you can you can use as collateral. 
but they're thinking, well, who wants widgets? I don't need widgets. You've got 10,000 of them. That's 10,000 nothings to me. Um, if you've ever watched Shark Tank, you see this happen. Like people that have a product, you know, that they think is magical and they get up in front of the sharks and the sharks are like, oh man, I can't believe that you've, you've done this. Um, one example that popped that just entered my mind, this just really happened. A entrepreneur developed a zero cow uh, kind of bubbly flavored water drink. Uh, it's kind of like that, that bubbly, I guess bubbly, like water flavored water that you have now in the supermarkets. Um, have you ever tried those, by the way? They have like orange and strawberry and lime. And I've, I've tried one or two before. And they just weren't that good. You know, it's like no sugar, water, flavor, and, and carbonation. And I guess, you know, it's, it's I need to, like, get on that. You know, I'm drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper tonight. But, I mean, I'm guessing they've got to be, you know, maybe a little bit better than the Diet Dr. Pepper for you, right? But uh, I don't know. It just didn't really hit me. My parents like them. But uh, I don't know. It just wasn't that good to me. But in any case, this gentleman had developed something similar to that, and he had, oh my goodness, like 250,000 cans, and the sharks were all negative, and, he, and they were saying, look, you've already sunk a lot of time and effort and money into this. It's not working. It's not a good product. You need to get rid of this inventory. Give it away at cost if you have to, just to get out from under it, and do something else. Come up with another concept. And that's a hard thing to hear if you've already invested years, you know, a lot of money, a lot of time and effort. But it's actually cheaper to sometimes let that go than to keep, like, trying to make something that's not working work. Uh, and it just, you know, that's it's so hard, though. It's so hard to, like, let it go if you've built it up over years to say, you know, I, I hate to let this go because I've put so much time and effort into it. But the thing that we don't realize when we're doing it ourselves is, is that that sunk cost, it's, it's gone. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what you did for the past, you know, like whatever amount of time that you've been invested in something. What matters is going forward. How, how, how are you going to invest your time going forward? And if you're going to continue to invest your time in something that's not working, that's, 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 that's futile. It's not going to work. It's not a good idea. So, all right. And so we, we were still talking about attachment. Remember, attachment is like that hand reached out to grab whatever, uh, whatever collateral is out there. So the debtor must have rights to the collateral. Most commonly, the debtor owns the collateral. And then the debtor must uh, most often signs the written security agreement or contract, which indicates if I default, the collateral will remain in possession of the person that loaned the money. And so, all right. Any questions or anything we've talked about so far? I know that if you do have a question, you can just shoot me an email and I'll get back to you. So I've already mentioned perfection. So perfection is uh, between the debtor and the creditor. Attachment is uh, fine. If the debtor defaults, the creditor will repossess the goods and usually sell them to satisfy the outstanding obligation. But unless an additional set of steps is taken, the rights of the secured party might be subordinated to the rights of the other secured party. Certain lien creditors, bankruptcy trustees, and buyers who give value and who do not 
know of the security interest. Perfection in the secured party's way is the secured party's way of announcing the security interest to the rest of the world. It is the secured party's claim on the collateral. And so um, perfection in this sense is a little different from contract perfection that I was talking about earlier. In this sense, uh, perfection is um, I am announcing that I have a claim on this piece of collateral. And that's what perfection means in this sense. So, perfection by filing. A financing statement is a simple notice showing the creditor's general interest in the collateral. It is what, um, sorry, it's what filed established the creditor's dibs. Commonly, it is much less detailed than the security agreement. It typically includes the following. Debtor's name, secured party's name, an indication of what collateral is covered by the financing statements. The next part talks about filing by possession. A security, oh sorry, a secured party may perfect the security interest by possession where the collateral is negotiable document, sorry, is a negotiable document, good instrument money, tangible chattel paper, or certified securities. A bank may perfect its security interest by holding the items until the loan is paid off. When the debtor gives collateral to the secure party, it's often called a pledge. Here's my pledge. Here's my collateral. I'm saying I will do this if uh, you do that. And if I don't pay it as agreed, then you'll be able to take possession, uh, own this collateral, and then sell it to recoup your expenses. There's a really great movie. If you've never seen it, you should watch it. It's older now. It's probably 20, 25 years old now. But it's called Rob Roy. It's got, um, oh gosh, Liam Neeson in it. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, he's the guy that plays in Taken. If, I know you guys probably know who I'm talking, talking about. But anyway, yeah. Um, it's a story of a Scottish, I guess, farmer. And he has a tribe of individuals that just, they all have a collective that they live in, a commune. And they're all a bunch of rural farmers and and outlanders that live, you know, on the range of the Scottish Hills. And they collectively want to uh, borrow money from a wealthy landowner. And they want to use this money to purchase cattle uh, in a distant, you know, area. And then drive the cattle back to, I guess, their homeland to sell it at a profit. And so, because if you if, if you could go where the cattle are, prices are lower. Uh, you buy them at the lower price, you bring them back to where you can sell them for higher prices because they're hard to get and make money in the middle. And then repay the loan and then you keep the profit. That's kind of the idea. Well, there's that deal doesn't work out exactly like it was supposed to. And it's not the fault of Robert Roy, who is the main character. The, the fault lies in some deception and in some corruption where they st- the, the bad guy in the movie steals the money that Rob Roy's representative had signed for, and that money is just gone off the table now. But Rob Roy has to be accountable for it because they made an agreement. And so that $1,000 that he borrowed, uh, which in that day was just, you know, I would extrapolate it to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, if not more, worth of value. 
And so he has to answer for that money. And so he had put up his farm as collateral. And so they immediately, without really, there is no trial by jury, any of that. I mean, it's like they're going to throw him in like a debtor's prison, seize his lands. That's it, you know. Well, he knew that something wasn't right. And so he fights back and he becomes an outlaw. You know, they, they start like going through this whole, you know, manhunt for him and stuff. Really good movie. Um, and even though not completely relevant to the current conversation, it does have some parallels to this idea of collateral and how deals work and what happens if the deal doesn't work out. The problem with that example of the movie is that there was corruption, you know, and so that's not that's not good. All right, so with going back to the pledge, the debtor pledges her goods to secure her performance. And the secured party, sometimes called the pledgee, takes the goods to to perfect its interest. And so, um, anytime that you're going into some type of agreement, it's good to make sure that both parties feel good about what's happening. And sometimes it does take collateral or a pledge in order to make the other party feel good about loaning money, for example. And so, perfection by control, a security interest in investment property deposit accounts, letter of credit rights, or electronic chattel paper may be perfected by control of the collateral. Control depends on what the collateral is. If it's a checking account, for example, the bank with which the deposit account is maintained has control. The bank gets a security interest automatically. Obtaining control means that the creditor has taken whatever steps are necessary given the manner in which the items are held to place itself in a possession I'm sorry to place itself in a position where it can have the items sold without further action by the owner and so there was one note from this that's um that was interesting that stood out to me as I was reading it and just to share with you briefly when you deposit money in the bank that is no longer your money you are giving your money to the bank and the bank is giving you an IOU. That's how that works. So when you look at your checking account or your savings account, that's not your money. That is a IOU in that account that says, you know, when you come back to see us, we owe you this money. You know, we owe it to you, but that's not your money anymore. We're going to take that money that's ours now, and we're going to use that to loan out in order to increase our profits and our ability to make money and then for the trouble you know of you using our banking services for check writing and debiting and all that stuff we're going to give you a small piece of the pie you know very very small piece of the pie as far as interest is concerned and so just wanted to let you know that because um, we have had some cases in recent history uh, due to the coronavirus where people were going to the bank and wanting to withdraw large sums of money. There was an example I read where somebody wanted to withdraw $10,000, and the bank wouldn't let them do it. And they said, well, we're limiting withdrawals to 5000 And the person said, well, that's my money in their account. And, you know, the bank has control of that money, and so it's IOU, and they can do things like that. And so i'm not advocating at all to take money out of the bank i mean banks are a safe place to keep your money most of the time you know but it's not 
100%, you know, foolproof all the time. There could be situations that arise where it could create uh, a situation where it makes it hard to get to your money. <coughs> um, one example is Greece. This is a recent example. Um, their economy pretty much collapsed in recent history, and the banks were, over, were there was a run on the banks. People were smashing ATMs to get money out of it. So that's a bad situation. The lesson is that you want to have some money in a couple different forms, maybe some money in uh, precious metals that you could liquidate. So let's say that you had, let's say you had $2,000 that you've saved up. You've been saving, you've been listening to me about saving money. Congratulations, great. And so you've got $1,000 in the bank. Let's say that you've got, you know, $500 in cash, um, a couple hundred dollars in, and silver, just, just to have, like you bought some silver coins put up, and maybe a couple hundred dollars in Bitcoin or something like that. <clears throat> so if one of those uh, places doesn't work out, you've got some other options on the table. Let's say the bank says because of this, you know, liquidity crisis we're having, we're going to close for three days, you know, just to give us time to get things in order. Well, that's not good, number one. That's a bad spot to be in. But number two, if something like that ever happened, you should have some other options on the table because you might need money today. And if the banks are closed for three days, that's not going to be <coughs> good for you. All right, getting off the soapbox on that. And so last few things here. Got uh, two more slides to talk about before we end our lecture. One of them is automatic perfection. The UCC gives special treatment to security interest in most consumer goods. Merchants sell large numbers of consumer goods, not feasible to file financing statements for each and every good. Control won't work because customers expect to take their goods home and not leave them uh, with the merchants. So consumer goods meant for primary, primary for household, <coughs> personal and family use. And so remedy, the purchase money securing interest, interest taken by the person who sells the collateral or advances money so that the debtor can buy it. Perfection is automatic. And so there is some special treatment for some certain type of merchandise. Um, so like if you go get a, a refrigerator from a rent-to-own place, something like that. All right, and this last slide deals with creditor's rights. Upon default, the creditor must make an election to sue or to repossess. So you can, you're dealing with a lawsuit or you're dealing with some type of repossession or a lien situation. <clears throat> Upon default, the creditor could file suit. Not typical as this is too late, oh, sorry, too time consuming and costly. Most prefer to repossess and sell collateral to get their money back. UCC permits the secured party to take possession <clears throat> of the collateral on default in two ways. Court order requiring debtor to deliver collateral to creditor or creditor can simply act on its own, assuming it can do so peacefully, which means without disturbing others in public, like taking possession of a car, for example. After repossession, uh, they can sell the collateral uh, or keep it in satisfaction of the debt. If sale results in deficiency, debtor is still liable for the remainder. If surplus, then it is paid to the debtor. So if, if somebody repossesses some property, and they were able to make $1,000 off the sale above and beyond what they were owed, <clears throat> guess what? They made $1,000. But if they are they sell it and they're short $1,000, you still owe them 1000 bucks. And so, yeah, not fun. You definitely want to avoid getting those situations to begin with. 
that's really the the secret sauces uh, to most things is how do you avoid trouble? You know, or how do you get out of trouble? Don't get into it to begin with, right? So, um, all right. Well, that does conclude the lecture on chapter eleven, and when it comes to our lecture on Friday, I'll probably dig back into the talk about money concept or conversation. <clears throat> but I may have some additional content too. May may also break into chapter twelve. We'll see. All right, guys. I appreciate your time and attention. If you do need anything, please drop me an email, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.